Hello everyone, my name is Taylor. And I'm Kelly. And we are the co-hosts of Jumping Bomb Audio, the podcast all about Joshi Pro Wrestling here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Every other Monday, we are with you talking about the biggest news in Joshi, along with show reviews, previews, and much, much more. So if you're new to Joshi or you've been a longtime fan, this is the show for you. We've got something for everyone here. So check us out, Jumping Bomb Audio. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome back, everyone, to the Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jesse Collins. Joining me today uh, is my my neighbor to the to the west here, Joe Gagney. Joe, how are you doing today? I'm great. Glad to be one of the seemingly uh, 50 people from Massachusetts and the Voices of Wrestling staff right now. Yeah, I would say, like, I was thinking about this earlier today, actually. Is that I think the Voices of Wrestling staff is almost entirely comprised of... People from New York, uh, people from New England, and people from the Chicago area, or like if they're not, or like people from like the Milwaukee, Minnesota area. Like, do we have anyone on that staff who's like from California? No one comes to mind. I'm everyone. sure. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know the exact location of every single person, but it seems like everyone lives in like one of four places, which I is is, is always uh, leads to a lot of uh, geographically similar discussion. Yeah, a lot of uh, Boston sports talk and, and all that, and people in Chicago talking about the well, the terrible weather last night when we recorded this. But yeah, it does tend to, uh, no one's piping in from like, um, I don't know, like, I don't think we have anyone like Florida or anything like that. Yeah, so like we the are... Pacific Northwest or, yeah, I guess there's some people from Ireland uh, in, in, in a few UK based ones too, but uh it's it's very yeah it's very limited geographically we we uh, we're lucky we're not in the territory days where we would only have like the perspective of like a few territories uh, <laughs> on staff yeah we just cover uh, the AWA and the WWWF with uh yeah that's the only two ter- look that's what all we would see uh, unless we like we were like Dave Meltzer we went on like vacation to our grandparents' house in Florida so we could watch all of Florida wrestling or something like that which is what Dave uh has said he does or said he did as a kid. Yeah, that always that always sounded so cool. Like you go on vacation and there's this whole other world of wrestling you probably didn't even know existed. Like maybe you had some rough idea that wrestling existed in other parts of the country, but here, like, and not just like you know random dudes. It's like the hall hall of famers like Dusty Rhodes. You can just go walk down the street and see. It's just I was kind of like I've been a wrestling fan a long time, so but I've always been kind of jealous of people who got to experience a territory like that. You know, weekly show and that you know the kind of the, the traditions and customs of having your own kind of localized sports and where it was like basically professional sports like in Tennessee or something they didn't at the time didn't have sports teams wrestling was the kind of the professional sport I always kind of feel like I kind of missed out on that in a way but I've seen more wrestling than <laughs> but far too much wrestling frankly than most people so I, I don't feel that bad 
Yeah, it's it's really, you know, it's interesting because we're going to discuss Sting's career. That's why we're actually here to discuss. But I think I think this is actually somewhat an interesting point, given that Sting's career spans really the end of the territory era into the national era and now into this this broader kind of global era of professional wrestling that we've been in over the last decade or so. But it's it's a double edged sword where on one end we have incredible access to pretty much any wrestling, like basically any wrestling match that happens now you can watch. Pretty much, with the exception of like WWE house shows, pretty much every single thing is recorded and broadcasted, um, and it, you can find it somewhere through legal means or uh, or through other means, and that's great for like information perspe- uh, perspective. But there is something, there is like a certain level of charm to, uh, like you could just go somewhere and discover like new pro wrestling. Or maybe like you saw someone that whose name you read about in a magazine, um, and there's like a sense of wonder that's just lost in the internet age where everything is super accessible. And uh, once you're at the stage of like w- where like you and I are in relative to like wrestling fans, like we can't really be surprised anymore, or it's much more difficult to surprise us with like something that's totally awesome or something that's totally cool. Because chances are we've been hearing about it at least, or probably watching it for years and years. Yeah, no, you would hear like, oh, this guy is great. And, you know, you can probably go on YouTube and see something he did. Or like you said, there'll be a streaming site will have it somewhere. Not only have it, but it'll have it forever. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that is, it was kind of a, I mean, I prefer being a wrestling fan today just because of the access of everything. Not only, you know, is everything available, it's there in perpetuity. Like if I was a kid and I missed, I don't know, superstars for some reason, I had to go play baseball. I didn't set a VCR tape. It was gone. Like I would never, you would just never see it again. Like maybe if something noteworthy happened, it'd be recapped on another show. But just uh, besides that, poof, it was gone. You would never, ever see it again. And that is thankfully, you know, if I miss, you know, I mean, AEW is not really streaming right now, but DVRs make that a lot easier to kind of keep track of everything. And and everything WWE does is, you know, gets put on their network one point or another. So you don't have that, that fear of missing out on anything thing which is certainly certainly an upgrade yeah it's it's definitely better to be a fan now but there's a sense of wonder that's gone i guess uh a childhood childlike wonder that comes to it because i mean i certainly remember discovering like new japan pro wrestling for the first time and that occurred you know in like 2000 like really 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 discovering it for me like i had heard of it and i'd probably seen a match here and there but like really getting into new japan pro wrestling for me i did like 2012 or 2013 um, where you could watch it on Ustream and, and there was, you know, a lot of, you could watch a lot of matches on YouTube and things like that, but still getting into it for that first time. Uh, yeah, like I mean, I re- discovering I re- this whole new world of professional wrestling that you had never really watched before. I mean, you can't really recapture that. No, I mean, I remember reading the aftermags in the, you know, early 90s talking about what was going on at Memphis and it just sounded like the coolest thing, but there's just, there was no way to see it. There was no way to experience it whatsoever and even when i first got on the internet in 95 and everyone's talking about ecw and there wasn't you know i would just read text descriptions of shows and they sounded like awesome but i yeah i didn't even know what anyone looked like never mind you know matches or clips being posted so yeah that is gone in a way we've traded it for accessibility which is probably a fair trade in the end but as always you kind of lose something with these technological advances yeah so i wanted to talk about sting today and that's obviously the title of this episode is going to be it's sting like tony Schiavone famously says um and the reason i ha- the reason i have joe on the show today is because uh joe is, is uh 
without without giving away ages, Joe is of a different generation than me. Um, as people know, I am not uh, particularly old in terms of wrestling fandom. Uh, and I was, as I tell people frequently, I was six years old when the Monday Night Wars ended. I have absolutely zero recollection of staying in WCW firsthand experience. I didn't even know what WCW was when it closed. Um, so my familiarity with Sting, like watching him as a performer, is really him in TNA. That's when I first saw my first Sting match. That's when I first found out who Sting was. And subsequently, I've been able to go back and, and watch all of the pivotal matches and moments of his career and be able to understand his career in the way that someone who is going back and watching it can understand it, which is of a limited perspective. Um, but is one shared by pretty much everyone of my generation. Um, Joe, on the other hand, you uh, go back much further with the Stinger. And you said, I think you told me that your first kind of memory of seeing Sting was was the famous Clash of the Champions match with Ric Flair. Yeah, I didn't see that live, but I kind of knew of Sting. My relationship with the NWA at the time and WCW, it was always interesting. I was always more of a WWF guy because they always came to massachusetts they were always around you know they'd always be plugging a show at the garden talking about coming to boston and things like that and wcw never really ran up here all, all that much they ran some shows in the garden like once a year in the 80s they had a couple random shows in worcester even during the monday night wars they didn't run a ton uh wasn't you know, uh, that wasn't slamboree 98 at the uh the uh the, the worcester uh was that yes. the dcu center or it was, whatever. yeah, that was the DCU center they ran and they ran some notable, I think they ran a, a pay per listen at, uh, in Boston, I think January 98, I think something like that. So they had a couple of shows, but it's not like they were here all, all the time. I just always felt a closer kinship with the WWF and it was a little bit harder to watch, you know, the 605 show because it was on cable. And I know as a kid, we only had one TV with, uh, with cable and my dad was always like, I'm watching the red Sox, like i don't really care you want to watch wrestling that's fine uh because he you know was a, a steel worker who worked hard and wanted to watch the red Sox. so you know it was a little it could be a little difficult to find the time to, to check it out so i never felt as close but i would watch you know as, as much as i can and yeah i would see i distinctly remember staying in the uh the late 80s and certainly all throughout the 90s yeah i, I watched almost all wrestling as a kid on my parents little tv in their bedroom um, because like, like when it was on during prime time, like I'm not hoarding the living room TV and watching wrestling, uh, but we at least had two, two TVs with cable, but yeah, that's, that's funny. That's a, uh, a true, a transdope, but he, um, so like stay, so, so my relationship with Sting, as I detailed, like not seeing him until TNA was when he was in TNA, um, while there are ups and downs of his run in TNA, I will say he was always presented as a star and always treated and revered like he was a big deal. So for me as an as a, as a adolescent, as a kid, watching him, I understood that this guy Sting was a, a main event wrestler, someone who had a lot of experience being a big star. Uh, and as I became like a teenager and I got access to the internet and I began reading a lot of books and, and watching, you know, DVDs and things like that, I, it became apparent to me that, you know, Sting was this huge star in the 90s and a huge star in WCW. Um, and I was able to kind of, you know, start my education going back and watching his matches. But 
And, and I understood all of that. But as just a fan, I didn't really like Stay. I didn't really get it. I understood there was nostalgia there, but it was other people's nostalgia. It wasn't mine. And that's a hard thing. I think sometimes we dismiss um, with nostalgia acts in a lot of cases where it's great. Like I always would say this, you know, when the Undertaker's career was winding down was like the Undertaker, especially when he's just his mobility just totally cratered. Like the Undertaker, if you're like a 10 year old kid or if you're like 14, the Undertaker is some like geriatric grandpa who can't move and has this absurd gimmick that nobody has any. And I don't know how popular he is with people of that generation. Um, he's getting by solely on his nostalgia. And Sting was obviously in better physical shape than Undertaker. But that was kind of my impression of Sting when he was in TNA was that, yeah, I could accept that he was a big star, but I don't care about this older guy. I want to see the younger wrestlers who are innovating and who are pushing things in a new direction and people that I feel like reflect closer to my generation and not this old nostalgia act. And TNA was really insistent consistently on pushing him as a top act and pushing him as a main event star. Even as he got older and older, um, I remember he main evented uh, a pay-per-view that I went to. It was Slammiversary. I want to say it was Slammiversary 2014. I might have that wrong, but it was at the Aganis Arena in Boston. And he main evented against Bully Ray in like a no DQ match. And I remember just being like, I don't know why I'm watching these two guys who are one guy is in his 50s and one guy I think was in his 40s in Bully Ray. These guys have a combined age like in their 90s. Um, and I don't really know why I'm watching these guys. Um, and why can't we get something else? Because this was the same show that had wrestlers like AJ Styles and Chris Sabin, um, you know, Austin Aries and Bobby Roode and all these guys were on the show, but it was Bully Ray and Sting who were in the main event. Uh, this was Slammiversary in 2013 uh and it was just one of those things where my relation i just didn't really care about sting and i was kind of sick and tired of seeing him and that was kind of my relationship with him up until very recently i've always kind of wondered with younger fans like i mean my generation of fans the folks who grew up you know watching wrestling in the 80s the hulkamania boom and all that and saw the monday night wars were kind of like the baby boomers of pro wrestling fandom where everything has kind of been, you know, cultivated to our taste over the last couple of years. How much nostalgia has, you know, WWE pulled out for the Monday Night Wars and even the, the Hulkamania era? And, you know, people aren't getting, like, newer fans aren't getting their own experiences. Everything has kind of been still catered around our fandom. I think that's changing a bit now. So I was always just curious for wrestling in the past, uh, like how much of it like did you care at all did you think like well, i have to experience you know i have to see every pay-per-view or did you just beyond like a you know a knowledge of history did you did it interest you at all beyond that yeah i mean i am i would say i'm relatively unusual in that i have like a really intense want to understand wrestling history and to want to like go back and, and read and, and, and watch things from from decades ago and so I spent, I think I talked about this uh, with Garrett Kidney when I had him on my show a couple of, uh, like last month. But I, like, 
when you know my teenage years were spent largely uh you know like getting dvds of old wcw pay-per-views and and old wwf and wwe pay-per-views and watching them and i read a ton of books you know detailing the 90s and the 80s and and biographies and things like that so it always really interested me but i would also say that i have an unusual interest both in the history of things and also certainly for pro wrestling but i would imagine you're kind of typical regular young person fan probably not probably uh they're probably not that interested in it. And, I, and it probably does depend on how someone is presented. Um, there's a way to present a nostalgia act that is cool to uh, a younger generation. I'll tell you, in some, time, in some ways, ignorance is bliss. I, when I was a kid, I enjoyed the, the Legion of Doom reboot with Road Warrior Hawk, uh, Road Warrior Animal, and Heidenreich. Like, I enjoyed that because the Legion of Doom were cool. They were like these big guys with shoulder pads and face paint. They came out and they wrecked people. And I didn't really care that it wasn't Road Warrior and Hawk because, you know, it wasn't Road Warrior Hawk wasn't in it. And it was Heidenreich, who's infinitely less talented than Hawk was. I just liked the gimmick and it worked for me. And obviously, older fans that remembered the actual Road Warriors were like, this is ridiculous. Why is Heidenreich wearing this face paint in the, in, in the Hawk shoulder pads? It was super dumb. Uh, but as a kid, I, I didn't know any better. So it was cool to me. So I, there is a way to kind of present the nostalgia acts in a cool way. And I imagine each one is going to be different depending on their relate, how they're presented and kind of how each fan reacts. To them. I don't think it can be determined like one way or the other. Yeah. I, I didn't really care for that. Cause I remember the original road warriors and I thought like, right, oh, like it's, kinda... it's absurd now, even if I go back and I can watch, I can say this was bad, but as a kid, you know, what made the, what made the road warriors interesting to kids who were seeing them for the first time in the eighties, that still worked for me when I was a kid in, you know, 2005, when I was, you know, 11 years old and they came out and did that stuff. No, you know, that makes sense. Like there wasn't, there wasn't really any kind of like pro wrestling pretty much reset when Hogan won the belt in 84. They didn't, the seventies, you know, may as well not have existed. They didn't, they weren't trotting out, you know, Baron Mikel Cicluna for, you know, an appearance during superstars or anything like that. So I never really had to kind of navigate that, you know, yeah, someone you, else's you, nostalgia. You mentioned that like how like wrestling has catered towards nostalgia and the attitude era and things like that. And, you know, like if you go back in time, it's like, it would sound absurd. Like, if you bring out an attitude era act right now in 2023, you brought out somebody who was big in 1998, just 25 years ago, that would be like in 1998, you know, bringing back, bringing out somebody from like the late 1960s, right? Yeah. Trotting out like Ivan, Ivan Koloff or something yeah. like that. And it would just yeah. be like, well, who cares? Like, like I, I may have had a vague knowledge of him, but like, all right, that means nothing to me. Right. And they would look bad and there would be like this, yeah. this whole thing. But um, there's there's legs for that kind of nostalgia. And this is true across all of media. Uh, not, it's not just limited to wrestling in terms of what we see rebooted and what we see kind of repackaged and things like that. But it definitely is an element. And Sting, because he's wrestled pretty much consistently, has been a huge part of that because uh, he has not you know, outside for a period of time, you know, first when he left TNA and before he came to WWE, and then when there was the period of time in between WWE and his debut in AEW, uh, and obviously there was the period between WCW closing and him and, and, and signing with TNA, but for pretty much the most part, he's been a really consistent 
performer and he's been a consistent presence in multiple wrestling promotions over that time period um to different results i've had yeah no i think that's i think sting is always interesting to me he for the period of time i watched him he always kind of tended to wrestle to the level of his opponent if he's in the ring with vader or rick flair or cactus jack he would have excellent awesome matches if he was in the you know if he was having a match with like mang or something it would be like oh okay that was all right like you know you know it's just someone who kind of you know i i remember a lot of like watching a lot of matches and thinking wow sting really carried that there too he was a guy who you know he would usually put in a good performance he didn't really sting out the place but very much dependent on who he was in the ring with in terms of that and i think that you know i don't i think that kind of changed around tna i wasn't diehard tna fan but i think sting kind of became a more consistent performer and certainly a much better promo in tna which is you know i was <laughs> It's funny, that's like learning to hit the curveball in time for the old-timers game at Yankee Stadium. Like, you know, it's good you're, you learn that skill. It's not going to do you a world of good right now because TNA, you know, it was just, at that point, there's really nothing anyone could do to really boost that. You know, he didn't their, really their have to become a good promo in TNA. No, I know he didn't, but he did. So, you know, it's just funny. Like, where, where was this like? Well, that was know, like, like, Goldberg, like, well, like Goldberg became a good promo, like during his last few years in WWE when he came back, like in his 50s. Like suddenly Goldberg was like a compelling promo, mainly because he was allowed to talk, not like a robot and just sound like a regular person, which stands out in WWE today. Uh, but True. that was the yes. thing was like, oh, Goldberg is suddenly like a compelling promo, um, which 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 was, you know, not really uh, his strong suit during no. his actual prime. <laughs> no, it was not. Uh, well, I think wrestling has changed. And like you mentioned, like he would wrestle to the level of his competition. And during the the 80s and the 90s, and certainly in WCW, there were a lot of people who, from a, like a work rate standpoint, especially at later stages of their career, just could not cut it anymore and would not be able to cut it today um, because the standard is so much higher. And so you throw Sting in there with just like a lot of guys who maybe aren't going to uh, put on a compelling in-ring performance, and the onus is kind of on Sting to carry everything, and that's hard, kind of hard to do often, especially with the as a career babyface, where you know there's only so much you can do during like you know late stage career Meng's control period, like as as a babyface to kind of get that over. Um, yeah. And so I think, you know, as he went to TNA, you know, the, the, oftentimes the level of worker uh, was was higher, maybe not quite as high as it would be today, but he was working with a lot more consistently good wrestlers. And then certainly since he's been in AEW, he's pretty much only worked with good wrestlers. And that's helped, certainly. Yeah, it is funny that his highest level of you know quality competition is at this stage of his career, which is, you know... A, a time period which most wrestlers have long since retired right well i would say wrestling in general like if you were to look at like the average in-ring quality is kind of for the most part and obviously it depends on your preferences and things like that but for the most part has gone up in a pretty consistent pattern since he first broke into wrestling um maybe you could argue like him breaking into wcw in the late 80s and, and then certainly early in the early 90s was better than like wcw in like 1998 1999 as from an in-ring perspective and as far as like who the top stars were and if they could work or not but um certainly in general like your average main event level wrestler is a better person than than 
in the 80s or 90s, especially if you look at like the places they worked. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's no one out there who's like really like, like awful, like bottom of the barrel, just like embarrassing. No, and that's something if you, these days. if you go back and if you like watch older stuff today, or even if you read like the Observer back issues where Dave is like giving out star ratings for, um, you know, an old, you know, a 1993 WCW pay-per-view or a 1996 WWF pay-per-view. Like, there's just like a lot of one-star matches. And there's just a lot of like bad stuff. And it was, that's why like two and a half stars is considered an average match. Today, I would almost consider it to be disappointing for for pretty much any match, because, despite it technically being an average rating. Um, but that's because the standard is so much higher. Uh, yeah, there's no, just... there's no, yeah, there's no Iron Sheiks out there, like rest in peace. But uh, like who Sting had a pay per view match on in the, uh, I think like eighty eighty nine, and yeah, like you old... know, just that level where like this guy can't be on TV anymore. He's, he's right, uh, and, and, atrocious. and part of that is guys take better care of their bodies. Yeah. The travel isn't nearly as bad. You know, modern medicine, modern training techniques, modern rest, and things like that. Um, so guys don't fall off cliffs the way like. The, like like the and the sheik is a good example like the sheik's like the cliff he falls off of physically is like incredibly remarkable um but is it but was also someone well was also a pattern many people fell fell from when they go from being a good worker to just totally being unusable very quickly because the way they took care of themselves and the way that the wrestling lifestyle was you did, didn't you didn't weren't able to age gracefully for the most part no, you would age overnight because you had a schedule that just ground you into oatmeal, you know, in, in no time flat. And then you, you know, take drugs to deal with it. And yeah, it was just, it was just a mess. So yeah, well, you get, I, yeah. you get an injury and you'd have to keep working even with the injury because if you weren't working, you weren't making any money. Um, and then, so you would, you know, all it would take would be, you know, one, you know, one injury to your back or one injury to your knee or one injury to your neck. And you're in the circle of hell where you're working injured. So you injure something else. And then you're, you physically just become shot. And all of a sudden you're, you know, relying on a comedy gimmick or you're taking no bumps in a match and having a one-star match. It's basically what would happen to, 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 to pretty much everybody, which again, yep. makes stings, stings the fact that he's still wrestling in 2023, uh, pretty remarkable. Yeah. Sting, I mean, you know, Sting was a guy who did always work hard. Like he, he would do like sometimes crazy dives to the floor. He worked a pretty athletic style for a main eventer. And, you know, so it's, it's you know, he's shown remarkable durability for yeah. to someone who was around for all those, all those periods. Yeah. As like a worker, like in his prime, or even if you're going to talk about like, you know, young sting, like the, the famous clash of the champions match with Ric Flair and kind of his original, you know, surfer sting peak run in WCW, like, he kind of reminds me of, and this is a funny comparison, um, especially for me, but he kind of reminds me of Roman Reigns in that he's a really good athlete and he's got a good look and he moves around the ring like an athlete and he comes across as kind of explosive. Um, he's not like a technically great wrestler in the sense that some of, some of like, you know, the true, you know, greats of technical wrestling. He's not like Ricky Steamboat out there. But he's capable of having good and exciting matches thanks to his athleticism and this aura that he's kind of a top guy, which he kind of always had. It it is funny, like like Sting was kind of a disappointment on top for years and years, much like Roman Reigns, which, you know, it is it is 
funny if you kind of look at Sting. He got pushed so, for 10 years and then finally moved business, just like Roman Reigns. Yeah, it's like it's it's so funny because if you look any anytime Sting was really made the man in WCW, like here's the belt, you know, you're the guy, it would usually be taken away within months, if not sooner. And it was like, you know, he wins the belt in 1990. It was, you know, him and Warrior win the belts of their respective companies in 1990. You think, oh, these are the new guys, it's a new de- new decade, we're turning the page. And then they give Sting the horrendous Black Scorpion angle. You know, that it's just a, a <laughs> it's just horrendous. It just kills us right off the bat and flares champ by January. And then I think like 92, he beats Lex Luger for the belt, Super Brawl. And, you know, Flair, Sid, and Luger, they're all gone. It's just kind of Sting. And, you know, he loses the belt to Vader in like four months because they wanted to transition to Ron Simmons. And then, you know, Sting wins the belt in 97 against Hulk Hogan. There's the peak of, uh, of WCW, the biggest thing they ever did. I watched that match. I went back and watched that match in preparation for this because I was so curious, and uh, I just, I just could not believe how how badly they fumbled that. It was just, I couldn't believe it. And Sing Sing was done that night, and he was never really, you know, in the title picture again. I think he had a couple quickie runs, but you know, yeah, like what you would say, he loses the title to Randy Savage like in March of of nine, yeah. uh, 1998 like he has it for and that's something that like people don't almost like everyone kind of remembers the whole angle you know he didn't face hogan for a year he barely wrestled they showed him up in the rafters and they did this you know incredible job keeping them apart and then building it up towards um you know the major event and then they do it it, set, it sets the record for like highest buy rate in history does incredible business and and then, like, Sting's kind of done as a top guy after that. Yeah. Which is... and, like, like, I mean, Hogan just, like, beats him up a good chunk of the mm-hmm. match. They, like, Nick Patrick either forgets to count fast or I think I think Bischoff just kind of said on one of those A&E specials, like, Hogan pulled a creative control card. I'm not sure if it's, but, you know, the finish you, is screwed up. You think Eric Bischoff would would, would lie on a, on a, on a mm, thing about um, some, a mistake that was made in WCW where he yeah. would shirk responsibility for it? Yeah, well, I'm, <laughs> you know, I always said Eric had like one of the great executive years in like 1996 because he was, WCW made incredibly bold decisions and it paid off wonderfully and then it's been the last quarter century. So, you know, I do have some respect for him, but yeah, I don't I don't really care a ton what he has to say right now. So, uh, yeah, so. so in, in yeah, you mentioned, just, oh, you mentioned like his disappointing kind of, drawing career the lack of opportunity you know the lack of consistency and like him like having a long title reign and drawing big on top um were you i i was not uh a, a wrestling observer newsletter hall of fame voter uh when sting was on the ballot i've only been voting for the past few years and i believe uh he got in the year before i started voting um but were you a voter because I, I believe you have a ballot were you a voter um when sting was on the ballot uh and and did you vote for him when he got in i did not vote for him when he got in i was just kind of always pressed like you know the guy's not really a hall of fame worker you know the guy wasn't a hall of fame promo at at his peak and he was kind of a disappointment on top so i never really i wasn't like you know opposed to the guy i didn't think sting had like a terrible career or anything i just thought like there was a kind of a tinge of disappointment to it and how can you really vote someone into the hall of fame if they're a disappointment like same thing with the warrior at the time like you know warrior had these these runs but ultimately you look back and it's like that wasn't nearly what we thought it was going to be so i wasn't a voter on sting i wasn't all that you know i was like i kind of got it like you know the guy was a, a a big pushed act for the 
at times the biggest company in wrestling. So it was like, uh, I guess, you know, people, people always say things like, Oh, sting was a big conduit for, you know, kids getting into wrestling. And it's like, well, where were they? Cause you know, sting was popular. He got cheered, but you look at the crowds, like in, in 1992 like wcw averaged less than 2,000 fans per live event like were they all you know they used to say like you know sting's getting paid all this money and the fans are dressed up like empty chairs so i wasn't a voter for him i wasn't you know i wasn't like like uh like threw my hands up when he got in because i i kind of understood but you know looking at now and what he's done in AEW, it, it seems kind of churlish to be upset about that like given you know say the whole new generation is like super into sting now it's like well you know, maybe maybe everyone else was onto something here, right? And I want to get into that because while I wasn't a voter, I would I I agreed with your your arguments for not voting for Sting. That was my kind of disposition as well, in the sense of he's really famous, like he's really well known. More people know Sting like across the country than they would know like Ivan Koloff. Um, or some people who eventually who did get in, you know, before him. But I agree, like, you know, his, you know, he was kind of like the perception that Sting was the top guy in WCW for like the entire 90s is incorrect. He was constantly being replaced by someone else who they felt like would do a better job. Now, how much is that is how much of that is on Sting and how much of that is on just uh, a revolving door of creative uh, leading to Eric Bischoff taking over the company and Bischoff himself kind of having a scatterbrained ideas for who was going to be a top guy and and, and never really settling on sting yeah I, a, I, I was gonna say I, sting certainly does not bear all the blame for that like i said they gave him terrible angles for his first reign and they you know he was just kind of pushed aside at other points but i think he, he bared a little he has to bear some of that burden for not really you know you can say wrestling was down in the early 90s it certainly was but part of being a big star is kind of turning business around and sting never did that on his own. It wasn't until Hogan came in and Savage that WCW was really any kind of big success. Right. And that, that'd be I mean, it's like Hogan and Savage come in, Roddy Piper comes in and does huge business as like a, as a top baby face. Um, you know, then they get, you know, Hall and Nash and W angle and all that kind of stuff. Goldberg. Um, but so I agreed with all that. And then, so you mentioned, uh like his AEW run like makes those concerns that you previously had seem insignificant uh which is interesting to say because it's not like sting has been a massive business draw for AEW it's not like you know sting is they're selling out arenas across the country because sting is there and it's not like his television ratings you know are huge they did one of their worst ratings uh in recent time period for his match against Chris Jericho um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, what makes you think about Sting's, what makes you think uh, Sting's run now? Like, how does that actually change your mind? Well, you think it's, you know, being brought in at this at this age and whatnot. You'd think, oh, it's kind of a, a cash grab. I, when Sting came in, I don't think anyone had any real expectations of him contributing. Like, oh, maybe he'll have a match or, or two. He's still in relatively good shape. And he's been certainly not, I mean, he's worked a bit more regularly than I would have guessed given his age and all that. But the guy, and this is someone who, you know, kind of got into wrestling. He, I mean, he was a bodybuilder and everyone always said like, he didn't love wrestling. This was an opportunity to make money and, you know, have the fame and he stuck with it. 
you know, not, not really a guy who who loved wrestling, but he is out there and he is just like at times literally killing himself every week doing these crazy bumps and working so hard in these matches and having, you know, I remember last year's Forbidden Door, like teaming with Shingo and all that. Like that's that's crazy. And you know, people just go go nuts for him. And he's really helped Darby a lot. Like, you know, when they were paired up, it was like, oh, I, I guess that makes sense, but I think it's worked out a lot better than anyone would have guessed because i think it's helped darby a lot and it certainly helps thing too at the same time it's been this symbiotic relationship and i don't know like a lot of i have a lot of very weirdly very fond memories of sting and aew because like i said the guy just works so hard when he really doesn't have to what's going on guys this is rich from the flagship podcast here on the voice wrestling podcast network and i just want to let you know about a brand new sponsor we have for the network it's Eufy, and let me tell you a little bit about their newest product, the Eufy Video Smart E330. This isn't your everyday smart lock. This is a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell offering triple the security and triple the convenience. Instead of loading up your door with a bunch of different devices, you install one, and it takes care of everything in a complete package. It's not just about the home security, though. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is also for convenience. No more worrying about losing keys. You can let each member of your family get a password. You can monitor their movement in and out of the house. You can keep an eye on your packages. You can check in on your house while you're away. There is so much you can do with this product. Best of all, it is easy to install and set up. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver. Leave that drill in the toolbox. The Eufy has keyless entry, a 0.3 second fingerprint recognition, a rechargeable battery with a four month lifespan, two way audio from the lock, enhanced night vision, 24 seven customer support. And you'll love this. None of those pesky monthly fees. Eufy sent me a smart lock 330 and I've loved it so far. It allows me peace of mind when I'm at work or when I'm away on one of my patented vacations. Plus it helps me keep track of deliveries to the house, saves me a trip back to the car. If I just need to run in for something and I forgot my keys and the two way audio system works well for those unwanted guests at my front door. No, I do not need new siding or windows or roof. Thank you, though. You can simply tell them you aren't interested from the comfort of your couch. Now, are you ready to ditch the others and join the Eufy revolution? Of course you are. Get started today by searching Eufy Video Lock on your search engine of choice. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can finally, once and for all, gain complete control of your door. Once again, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock ufeofficial.com slash video lock and we thank them for sponsoring the voice wrestling podcast network say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill Right, but that's not really like that's not really like a Hall of Fame credential to me. Like he's been an asset to AEW and he's been enjoyable. But when we look at the Hall of Fame, when we look at like drawing power, uh, and like even in ring work and things like that, I wouldn't say that he's necessarily done that in AEW. No, and let me just say that if Sting was not in the Hall of Fame and we were considering it, I don't know how much AEW 
would lend to it. This might be the the case that well he he got in. There's nothing I can do about it, and I'm just kind of enjoying the sleep period of him. Where you know, like I said, he's working so hard when he doesn't really doesn't have to, and, and putting on very memorable matches and being popular with a whole new, possibly a whole new set of fans. Kind of just it it, it enhances it to me. I, I'm not saying like this is like this would put him over the edge if he was still right. up for the Hall of Fame. I think it's because of it's fait accompli. It's just kind of a a nice postscript to his career where yeah as how, of, how can you be mad at staying like yeah. like you know it just seems silly as of detailed i i was not like a fan of sting you know when i would see him in in, in tna and i i didn't care at all when he showed up in wwe and i don't think they used him properly at that point either and when he showed up in aw i was like really sting like i get there's old you know there's older fans that are like i love sting i'm a stinger like and and those fans are getting so I got it, but I wasn't particularly excited to see him. And like I said, I was not really an enthusiastic Hall of Fame supporter of him as well. Um, but his time in AEW, and maybe it's just me getting older and wiser in terms of, of the business, but his time in AEW has really hammered home something to me in that I can quibble about his drawing ability or I could quibble about his lack of truly great matches or these things we often talk about in terms of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame. But to me, what really is him home is this, this guy is a big star and he understands how to be the star and in a way that like very few other people do. And even though he is 64 years old and I, I, and I like I said, I have no nostalgia for Sting at all. I'm like, this dude gets it. And this dude is what I think about when I think of like a true wrestling legend. Because in part of it is used in a very careful, conservative way that totally plays to his strengths. And the other is just his total enthusiasm for working the crowd today and doing what is necessary to get over and to stay over. Because we're on what? He came in in like 2020? December 2020? I believe so, yes. Right? So we're closing in. We're on two and a half years of, of him being in AEW wrestling, like you said, probably more frequently than you thought. And he's still just as over as he ever was. And people are into it. And to me, he's really hammered home something that I was kind of discounting previously, which is just this aura and this credibility that he has as a top star that I think very, very few people have. Um, and that to me, like, it's not a scientific analysis. It's not talking about drawing figures and it's not talking about, you know, Fred Moreland does a great job with like the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame voting award shares and things like that. It's, it's there's no nothing analytical about this, but when you see them and you watch them, in the ring and you watch him at age 64 wrestling with guys a third of his age you see a guy who's a hall of famer um and it really has been hammered home during his time at AEW, uh and i've been able to appreciate him so much more and maybe that's just because i like AEW more than i ever liked tna maybe it's just a, a, an inherent anti-tna bias against myself um but it feels that way to me, just me as a viewer, as someone who didn't grow up with Sting or anything like that, that he's just this level of iconic figure in wrestling that should be celebrated. 
and I have absolutely nothing bad to say about him. No, I don't think anyone could say anything bad about this most recent run. And I think for fans of my generation who saw Sting and, and WCW, and this feels like a very nice victory lap of sorts. Like, here's a guy, you know, WCW went under. He went to TNA. You know, he, he does very good work in TNA, but no one's really watching it. No one is just kind of like, you know, everyone's kind of like, all right, like that that's fine. He like, does go. What were his most memorable TNA moments? Uh, I mean, in a bad way. I remember the the Jeff Hardy match. The, where the victory was... road, Jeff Hardy moment, right? Yeah. And yeah, I, have, I don't know, probably one of his, uh, I, I guess a title, one of his title wins, none of which really jump out at me right now. Right. And I'm not like a TNA historian or anything like that. So I'm, I'm probably forgetting about some stuff, but I don't know. It seems like it, kind of the nature of TNA, like the hit, a lot of the, the results in, in major moments are, are relatively forgettable. Um, and maybe it's because it's more recent, but I can like identify like many, many different things that happened in Sting's AEW career. Um, yeah, so I like, you know, he was a guy like TNA run was not, yeah, you know, he did good work. It was, you know, a, a run to be proud of, but not nothing really sticks out. He goes to WWE, you know, he has like, you know, he finally kind of gets there. He has the WrestleMania match against Triple H, he loses for in like. NWO shows up for some sucks. reason and uh, the whole yeah, thing just sucks like, so much yeah it's just like uh so but you know like, here he is the, oh, go ahead. The, the NWO they turned Sting into like a WCW mascot and so yeah. it had to be like a, a WCW versus WWF like basically what they should have done during the invasion but they're doing it like 20 years after the fact um and like you know DX runs out, which is just Triple H's friends. Then NWO runs out, which is more of Triple H's friends. But for some reason, they're siding with Sting. Like, they're not even the NWO Wolfpack. They're just the regular black and white NWO. It was completely absurd. Yeah, who, who hated Sting, so I don't know why they're helping him out. But yeah, but so after after all that, this guy gets one like one last run in a major company. And uh, he's killing it. And you like you said, you can't say anything bad about what he's done. He's helped. He's worked hard. He's done great work, and it's just an unqualified, certainly a bigger uh, success than any of us would have would have guessed when you heard Sting's coming in. Right. Well, Sting was coming in, and you mentioned like, oh yeah, he's probably going to wrestle. Like, I mean, for me, I was like, can Sting wrestle? Like, because he had, you know, he basically had to retire because he, you know, had spinal yeah, stenosis, and we had no idea. And I remember like there was this whole thing about like is Sting going to be able to wrestle? Can Sting take a bump? And then there was like, I think Brian Cage gave him a power bomb. And I was like, oh my God, Sting took a power bomb. Like, oh my God, he's got spinal stenosis. Like he shouldn't be taking the power bomb. And they had, you know, the cinematic match with Darby and Sting versus, uh, was it Cage and Will Hobbs? Cage and Ricky Starks? It was against uh, Team Taz. Yeah, the team, yeah, I think it was Team Taz. Yeah. You know, they did the cinematic match, which obviously is smoke and mirrors and you can hide, you know, anything he doesn't really have to take any real bumps uh it was like okay they could do that um and but since then he's you know he's had batches he's taking bumps uh he's jumping off of things he's out of his mind he's <laughs> he's crazy he's yeah. a crazy man and he's doing it he, he can't be doing and he's doing it like i'm sure he's being paid well in AEW, but even if he's being he's not being paid well to like jump off a ladder like he's being paid well to be Sting and to slap on the Scorpion Deathlock and to, you know, 
give the stinger splash and all things that don't require him to like almost die. Uh, <laughs> and I guess he hasn't almost died, but um, he's uh, he's he's given way more physically than I think anyone could have possibly have imagined when he first showed up at AEW, which is part of I think why he's gotten over so much. Yeah, didn't uh two point didn't the, they put him through a table or something? I think that he took like a, a hideous bump there. That was like, oh my god, like what are you doing, Sting? But was, no, yeah, yeah, he wrestled on the 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 Forbidden Door pay per view, um, and there was like a I think mean, like Sammy was giving him a six thirty through the table, and Sting got up and like after that he was kind of hobbling around a little bit, and everyone was like, oh my god, is like Sting okay? Is he is he you know because he's he's so old, so people are kind of have their uh, antennas up when it comes to him if he's whether he's just selling or he's actually a little banged up or things like that. And there was this concern for Sting, and then four days later he was jumping off a ladder out of the ring through a table. Yeah, and a long way away too. <laughs> oh my god, when he so Darby set up that that spot on Dynamite. Uh, Darby sets up. So you see Sammy's like on the table and Darby sets off the ladder in the ring. And I was like, geez, that's like far. That's going to be a far jump for Darby. And then Sting is like, no, well, I got this. It's like Sting can't jump that far. I don't even know if Darby could. Who's again, like less than half of his age. And I mean, he just barely made it, but he did it. And he, from what I can tell is, is not significantly injured. Yeah, I mean, I think he got a uh, he like lost a tooth or something like that, but he was still still fine and still going. So he is a a, a miracle in in a variety of different ways. And I think about like um, there's something about like like I said, his presence and his star power. Like I remember you mentioned like he had the tag match with uh you know Shingo and the six man tag at Forbidden Door last year, and Shingo gave an interview where he just talked about like being in the ring with sting and like watching him be a star watching him exude star charisma and you know i don't know what shingo takagi's like nostalgia or knowledge of sting was prior to that match i'm sure he maybe recognized him and knew what he was but i don't know if shingo takagi was a was a little stinger growing up in japan um but to, to have a veteran you know star wrestler in his own right be like in the ring with a guy and be like that guy knows how to be a star that guy understands what it means to be a top guy and how to perform like that um kind of hammers home what i think has become evident to me as a fan which is that this is a special legendary figure in wrestling which i was before pretty dismissive about him i was like i could never see sting wrestle a match again and i wouldn't feel like i'm missing much and now i'm like oh man i hope sting keeps wrestling (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you hope he gets to uh, 40 years, we think. And, and it's not like Shingo has, like, you know, he just wrestled in tiny feds. Like, he's been in front of big crowds. He's been around, and to be kind of in awe of Sting really speaks to Sting's. Yeah, it's not like a young boy being like, oh, no. this guy's a big star. It's like, no, Shingo is, you know, a, a big star in his own right and is, you know, former IWGP world champion and, you know, top guy in Dragon Gate for years and years. But, you know, he, he that kind of perspective, I think, hammers home that point about, uh, you know, Sting's viability as a top guy. Mm. Um, and, and just, this is something I think about a lot in, I think, the way the business was when Sting was coming up and when Sting first broke through as a top guy and kind of the cachet that came with being a main eventer and, and being a world champion and why it was so important to be protected. 
that's kind of lost. The business is more uh, egalitarian in a lot of ways now than it was back in the 80s and 90s. And to an extent, I do think that like there's a mentality that's been lost that guys from the past have in greater quantity than guys have today in most cases. There's a few exceptions today, but I I, I could say the same thing about like Kijimuto in Japan. Um, just like a a, a a kind of a way of conducting yourself as a top star because you came from an era where the the competitiveness to be a top star was higher. The money was not as good unless you were a top, top guy. There was less guaranteed money for wrestlers. There was much more of a hustle required and there was a lot more paranoia and insecurity about you losing that spot than I think there is today. And it's a healthier business today for sure, but I do think it forced certain the wrestlers of that era to become uh, cognizant of their own star power and cognizant of their presence in the ring entertaining people in a way that a lot of people, even top guys today, don't have. That's true. And probably the repetition of night after night where, you know, newer wrestlers today, any wrestlers in AEW don't really get that, you know, you're you're in the ring. I'm not gonna say like seven days a week, but you're you're in the ring a, several days a week in different towns every night, and having to get over every night and, and like and being different people. It being a baby face and being a heel is probably more complicated now than it than it, than it was back then. And guys, you know, turn a lot more than they used to. Uh, you know, the idea of Sting basically being a baby face for pretty much his entire career. Um, there are a few heel runs here and there that I think most people would say were bad and unnecessary. But just like the idea of like being a completely career babyface, um, it's hard to think of somebody being like that today. Obviously, like John Cena was, but or, or Rey Mysterio. Um, but he, you know, that that that's a different element too. And I just think that I don't know. That's something that's like lost by a lot of people today. Um, are there wrestlers who are active right now besides Sting who you think kind of had that quality? Uh trying to think no one sting feels like an outlier in this case i'm sure there are some names out there who would kind of yeah i was i, I, I don't know whether i obviously uh, just sprung this on you and it's also my own perspective so yeah uh, I, I know someone like a jeff jared has a lot of oh interesting similar experiences to sting though i think yeah. sting has exuded yeah i think sting has more kind of natural star yeah. power than I would, jeff, I would, jarrett does yeah i wouldn't put jeff jarrett in that class necessarily i think when i think of jarrett i think of a guy who came up in like the territory era and came up in you know son of a, a successful promoter in the territory era and as pretty much all of his peers have retired and died and gone away he has these tricks that maybe were pretty standard when he was breaking into the business that stand out more today like he's the guy that's still working the old tennessee style and there's just nobody doing that today so yeah. you know what's old is new again especially when you're the only person doing it so he kind of comes across as this unique entity that's an interesting shout yeah just because he's been at it as long pretty much as long as sting and has a lot of similar yeah like i think cm punk carries himself like that yeah, I think that's very true. Yeah, and CM I think Punk carries himself. I like, think Roman now does that. Others. Yes, Roman. I'd say Roman now finally has after right Roman years, and years of trying his figure. Right, and it's a little bit different because he obviously came up in a totally different era. But Roman has a level of credibility, having been pushed consistently and above everyone else for ten plus years. At this point, where 
he just exudes that kind of what this guy does is important and that he is a top star. Whether you like what he's doing or not, I think that's pretty much indisputable. And I think one of the reasons that he's become such an important business mover for WWE in the last year or so uh, is because I think what he, everything he does feels important. It feels like he's a real big star. And I think he carries himself like that um, because yeah. he's been groomed to be like that. Um, I think Jericho carries himself like that to a degree. And I think MJF does. And MJF is has way less experience and kind of years and decades of, of, of being on television and being presented as a big star. But I do think that he understands kind of that old school mentality and uh, in, in how to project himself as a big star and how to carry himself. Um, and like in like Okada and Tanahashi too, it's a little bit different because they come from different business models in Japan where being a top star is, is, is in some ways kind of like the old model where it's harder to break into and they don't just pass the world title around to everyone. And I think in Japan, it kind of stands out a little bit more uh, because the business is in some ways still old fashioned compared to the weekly television model uh, that we see in like WWE and AEW. Yeah, I think Moxley carries himself, and maybe not in the the star power way, but more of like he kind of having that aura of like, oh, something's gonna go down right now, probably because something yeah, <laughs> which always not, does yeah, when he gets it, in the ring. Yeah, like even like like I don't think Kenny carries himself. Kenny Omega carries himself like that, and it's nothing. It's not necessarily a knock against Kenny, who I think is obviously an incredible wrestler. Um, it's just there's something about. Uh, and I, I don't even want to say it's confidence because Kenny is, is incredibly confident. So it's definitely not that. But it's it's a uh it's and it's I don't want to say it's selfishness because it's not a selfishness, because I think someone like Chris Jericho is very giving while also doing that. And I think Sting is, is very giving too. But it is a a cockiness and almost an arrogance and a understanding of I'm a big act and everyone has is going to fall in line to what I want to do and what I'm doing, both in like a kayfabe sense and a non-kayfabe sense, I guess, if I were to describe it. And, I think, uh, yeah, I, I think that makes sense. Yeah. And uh, not 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 every top guy today is going to have that. And, 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 and really, if the business was filled with those kind of people, because we'd have we'd still be in the old business where everyone was very paranoid and we'd have a lot more guys refusing to do jobs and using their creative control like that dastardly Hulk Hogan surely did. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> Starcade 97. But I don't think it's something that like every wrestler inherently has. Um, and you kind of, uh, it, it's, I think, like I said, it's been hammered home with Sting's performances. And I, I hope, I hope he can get to 40 years. He, we were talking about this a little bit before the show, but he's so he debuted in November of 1985. So he would need to get to 2025 to get to 40. Um, he has talked a lot about retirement, and I'm pretty sure he's been talking about retirement since at least the late 90s. <laughs> but uh, he he did mention, I think, in the after the Forbidden Door press, he was in the Forbidden Door press conference, and he said, you know, he isn't planning on retiring this year. So once he gets to 39 years, you might as well go for 40. But again, he's he's 64. He's probably realistically only one bad injury away from really calling it quits. And I would like to see Sting's last match be like good and not like, you know, Ric Flair's last match um, or, or something like that where it's kind of sad. 
Yeah, you you would hope that he would go out with with some dignity, which is very very big a big ask in the world of, of wrestling. I don't know, nothing really jumps out. I don't think. I mean, you know, he could have a, a good match with, you know, uh, with anyone. Not really anyone. I, I was gonna say his peer group, but he doesn't really have a lot of peers running around right now. But you know, you, you hope he he if he wants to, he can go to forty. I don't think he certainly needs to at this point. He certainly doesn't have a lot left to uh, to prove. He certainly made his money. And hopefully he still has a good chunk of it. So, yeah, hopefully, you know, if he wants to, he gets to 40 and um, has a, a good last match. And hopefully AEW would make it a big deal. Yeah, and I think, um, like, the the Muto, you know, Muto final bye-bye, you know, the Muto retirement tour was was really successful from a drawing perspective and from a business perspective. Uh, and it got people talking about, like, what, um, what kind of, retirement tour like could the who's the next wrestler who's a wrestler in america that could do something similar to to what the muto retirement tour was and it feels like the only cases really sting as a guy that would have kind of multi-generational appeal uh and i would really i'm really interested in seeing if AEW chooses to pursue that if they can get an agreement with okay, your last match is going to be on X date, and maybe I don't know if they'll run a stadium show or something like that, or they run like a, you know, a big arena in Atlanta or or, or in you know WCW country or something like that. But to kind of put together a real retirement tour for a guy like that, because we I don't have we seen that in the United States like a, a like a obviously like like in Japan there's like the you know everyone remembers like the Inoki the Final Countdown and obviously this Muto one, but have we seen kind of a similar? tour like that in america where it's kind of promoted these are the last few matches over like the course of a year um have we seen that in america for retirement nothing for like a major star yeah i, I mean i just remember when samoa joe left ring of honor they did like a bunch of series of matches for him and made it like all right he's you know wrestling this guy for the last time it's mm-hmm. not the same thing but it's along those same lines that came to mind as far as i mean you know wrestlers always kind of come back so you know i think retirement tours are certainly met with skepticism but i'm sure there's there may be an obvious example but nothing's really coming to mind right now i mean probably back in the territory days there was um yeah yeah i think there's yeah there was like you know stuff like fritz von eric would have like uh, a comeback match or something like that something along those lines but i don't you know i'm wrestlers kind of i don't know if they call it quits like a bit earlier now than they they did now like you know it's so funny, like we talked about uh the Legion of Doom, and I remember they made like old jokes about like Hawk and Animal when they were 40 in 1997. And you know, no one blinks if there's a 40-year-old wrestler shows up on like Raw, like no one blinks an eye, like, well, yeah, of course, that's just kind of how it is. So well, I was I like really Brand- like Randy Savage was Vince thought Randy Savage was like getting too old in like the early 90s when he was like, I don't know, like 39 years old. Oh yeah, yeah. And I remember like Ric Flair lost the title to Sting. And I remember the aftermath was like, well, that's it for Ric Flair as a world champion. And then he won like more world championships than he held before he was 40, like after he was 40. So just kind of yeah, the the, the Ric Flair retirement's kind of just jumping in my mind is kind of a, a big retirement thing, but it's not really not really something wrestling has has done. Like the the most recent Ric Flair retirement? Yeah. Yeah. Which was successful given that it was like an indie show. Oh, absolutely. No, no, they deserve a ton of credit for the, I mean, I don't, it was sad and not, not good, but yeah, I thought it was, they deserve a ton of credit. Yeah. I I mean, I thought it was like exploitive, but it was, 
you know, successful from a business perspective and think about what you could do with uh, Sting's not the level of star that Ric Flair is, but Sting has never had a retirement like Ric Flair and Sting certainly can do more physically in the ring than Ric Flair and Sting is in a major wrestling company that can promote the hell out of it. I mean, they did a good job. The Conrad, you know, show did a good job given what they had at their disposal, but they didn't have a national television show and they didn't have a regular touring roster of wrestlers or things like that. You could do something really big with Sting. Um, and it could mean something and it could be really unique, I think, to like American wrestling to see this and uh, makes people feel good about an old wrestler, which is pretty hard because we're used to we're, we're in a society where old wrestlers uh, die young, they go broke or they're physically ravaged. And it would actually be pretty heartwarming, I think, to see a guy go out on top on his own terms you know, still performing at a respectable level. And obviously there's a lot of smoke and mirrors involved with his current performance. You know, he's wrestling mostly, I think he's wrestled exclusively tag matches. He's not taking a ton of bumps. He's taking some memorable ones, but he's not taking an enormous amount of them. Uh, but you could get away with this. It seems like you could get away with this formula for, for a few more years, but it would be really nice, I think, to see something set up like that as 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 a skit as a lifelong sting skeptic i would be very intrigued to see that yeah that would you know it'd be nice to, i don't know like who you said for opponents do you see if you call goldberg for that because i think uh you know you run that in like wcw country is kind of a you know kind of a final coda on that portion of his career do you do a big AEW, you know singles opponent and all that and, and run that and you, you kind of run through the different facets of uh of Sting's career that way, that would be different and interesting, and then probably well, lucrative yeah. for AEW. You have, and you have a lot of like the TNA wrestlers he wrestled. Oh yeah, TNA at your disposal. Um, yeah, you could do a lot. I mean, you could bring in. There's got to be wrestlers from Japan he probably clashed with. I know, like they did the whole thing with Muto. I like the idea of Sting like Muto. Sting's talk. This this definitely probably didn't happen, but I I I like to imagine that like. Sting is talking to Muto about this tag match. And he's like, yeah, we'll do a six-man tag and I'll bring this guy, Darby Allen, with me. Don't worry, Muto. He's going to take every bump. We don't have to do anything. And then, like, Darby just comes in and takes, like, 600 crazy bumps while Muto and Sting do, like, nothing but soak up the glory. Uh, it's, it's, it's like a hypothetical conversation that probably didn't happen, but it warms my heart to think that it did. Yeah, no, that's probably some very, very close to reality. Um, all right. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to? No, I think we did. Uh, we we covered all of the facets of Sting, all the the good and you know the the less good, but certainly the uh, the high note he's on right now. So, no, I he's, think I think we did a good job. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely someone who I think his his like Q rating in wrestling is probably really high, which is very impressive given the industry that he's in and he was a top star forever usually those people are not universally popular but seems to be like among his peers he's, he's pretty well respected i would say so do you do you think sting is more popular than or has more uh a high q rating i guess than uh than the crow movie that he took his look from because it seems like sting has endured a lot more than that franchise has uh interesting yes um hmm. i've never seen the crow um when I was in college, like my friend talked about The Crow, um, which is uh, more conversations in college I had than conversations about Sting, which was with nobody. Uh, but yeah, 
yeah, I mean, the crow's pretty like I don't think if um was it Brandon Lee? Is that uh it was Brandon Lee, yes. Yeah, so if Brandon Lee doesn't die, I don't think anyone remembers the crow. Or maybe they do because Brandon Lee becomes a huge star after that. Mm. Free soundtrack too, but uh yeah. Yeah, the think, the crow uh, was a was 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 it like a graphic novel or comic book? Before? Yeah, it was a based on a, a I think a pretty underground comic at the time. Yeah, so it's it's really the crow is really ahead of its time in terms of like comic book or like this kind of cult classic thing being turned into a movie. Like that comes out in two thousand and eighteen. Mm. It pro- I don't know if it would endure further. Um, it's an interesting question. Like I know what the crow is. Um. And I couldn't tell you what many movies were from 1994, wherever that came out. So that's probably it's it, yeah that, that might uh that might be an interesting uh poll question. Mm. Might be skewered by uh it being answered exclusively by wrestling fans. On probably yeah. yes, that would <laughs> you know cast a wider net for the uh. But uh um, yeah, I mean, I mean that that does bring up an interesting idea of like Sting's you know most identifiable look um he blatantly stole from popular media at the time uh and nobody really cared and i don't know if it would be the same if someone did that today but maybe someone should try to do that today yeah i think it, it, was, would it would probably get over it was, yeah at the time it was so nuts that this guy was changing his look that he had established for like pretty much a decade on national television and kind of changing his look was just something you never thought would happen. People kind of pointed it out like, oh yeah, it's the crow, but I don't think anyone got really upset about it. I think it was just like, more like, okay, he looks pretty cool and like, this is a big deal. So I think that's as far as people's caring went. And he's changed elements of it. So it's not like straight yeah. up, you know, it's, it's it, you know, it looks a little bit different. He's, he went to the Joker sting phase, which again is him just lifting something from popular media at the time. Um, I thought it was dumb, but I think it was also hugely successful for him as Joker Sting. Yeah, it it worked for a bit in, in TNA. So I will, yeah. yeah, it was it was it was it was during a time period where I think I was Jokered out in terms of everything being <laughs> yes. the Joker, like in the wake of the Dark Knight. But it was is another example of someone lifting something from popular current media, uh, and, and and doing that. I wonder, but you don't see that really in wrestling. And like, if you go back to the eighties, that happened all the time. Like we were talking about the road warriors and their look is really just lifted from various like cyberpunk or dystopian that were popular at the time, including their name, the road warriors. Um, that you, I don't know, you don't see that much rip people ripping that off and you don't see a bunch of people ripping off current pop culture and wrestling. And maybe they should, because things that are popular are in other mediums might be popular in a pro wrestling sense. Yeah. I mean, you like, Jason the Terrible or the Lord Humongous or uh thing. I mean, I don't know, people are more litigious these days given everything's on national television and people didn't really care if he was just like in uh some territory in the eighties, probably wouldn't care as much. I don't know. But yeah, no, that that's gone by the wayside. Yeah. I guess uh Triple A has like the Marvel superhero characters. Yeah, but that's in conjunction with Marvel as kind right. of a it's not like they're like, oh, Spider-Man, and, that sounds good. And frankly, that would like suck if like WWE or AEW just had like, yeah, this guy's Wolverine and he came out with like the full on Wolverine <laughs> costume. Like Yeah. Even though no, Wolverine is cool, like it would I just don't think it would work. Um Yeah, it was like the the Kiss Demon in WCW. It was like Well, it can't yeah, it can't be too marketed. Uh no. Like no. that. 
but yeah, but I don't know. Things looks that are looks that are probably it's more like stealing a look or something, which I guess some people do. I think Will Ospreay stole like the Logan Paul, Jake Paul look. Maybe they can have a boxing match with it. Yeah, and then ironically, Logan Paul would end up joining wrestling. So he's kind of yeah. huh. copied Will Ospreay. <laughs> They'll probably have a match one day. Maybe not. I have no idea. Oh, I don't know. I wouldn't bet against it. It probably will happen at some point. Yeah, it would have to involve uh it would have to probably involve Will Ospreay signing with WWE. Mm. Which would be interesting. But uh anyway, uh thanks a lot, Joe, uh for, for being on the show. Uh you have any final words for, for the listeners at home? Uh no, uh appreciate everyone uh, tuning in. It was great to be on this. I had a great time. And uh, I'll just drop a plug for the Five Star Match Game. That is a show right here on the Voices Wrestling Podcasting Network. It is a trivia podcast. I take three guests and we uh, we play trivia and keep score. And it's a lot of fun. And we have uh, about three dozen episodes done. They're all pretty evergreen. You can find them in the archives. There will be a topic you will enjoy, whether um a fan of AEW, WWE, older wrestling, Lucha Japan. We've covered a bunch. So And maybe I'll do an episode on Sting someday. We just did one on Bret Hart. Uh, our first show on a singular wrestler, it went well. So maybe the Stinger has certainly had a long career to justify that. So perhaps that will be down the line. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Joe. I appreciate you for being on the show. Appreciate all our listeners as always. Uh, anyone has any comments or questions, please feel free to leave them in the comment section or yell at me on social media. Uh, I always encourage that kind of behavior. Uh, maybe I shouldn't, but I do. Um, so thanks a lot, everyone. And I'll talk to you again in a while. Hello, Voices of Wrestling listener, Dave Ryan here. Have you ever wondered to yourself, how many hidden gems are hidden away inside the last years of World Championship Wrestling? Have you ever asked yourself how many tenuous gags can be made about the name Mike Enos? And have you ever thought about what it sounds like for two Irishmen to interpret a very chaotic company through its B-show? The answers to all this and more are just a click away. Check out Days of Thunder every second Thursday on the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.